Hello and welcome to Teaching Python. This is episode 66, Designing Projects for Python Libraries. My name's Sean Tiber. I'm a coder that teaches. And my name's Kelly Schuster-Paredes, and I'm a teacher that codes. And today we're joined by a very good friend of the podcast, someone who's been with us since the very beginning, it feels like. Even if it wasn't episode one, it was probably still in the the single digits. And wait, and he gave us stickers. And he gave us stickers. So <laughs> we're pleased to welcome Mike Driscoll to join us on the show today. Mike is the author of a new book, Python Projects with Python Imaging Library, or with Pillow, right? Mm-hmm. Did I get that right, Mike? You were close. It's called close. Pillow, Pillow Image Processing with Python. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. So <laughs> this is what happens when I paraphrase and I don't look at my notes. But <laughs> welcome, Mike. We're really glad to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's going to be great. We know that you have done a lot of teaching, you've done a lot of writing, and we're really excited to go through this process of talking about some projects that we can do with external libraries as a way to get students excited and engaged in their learning. So we're really thrilled to have you with us for that. Yeah, it's going to be good. So today we're going to start where we always do with the win of the week. So something good that's happened inside of the classroom inside or outside of the classroom. And Mike, because you're our guest, we're going to make you go first. So have you had your win of the week yet? Are we still waiting for it? Has it you know, how's it going? Oh, it's going okay. I've been busily working on book ideas and my, my code examples are coming together. So I, I call that a win. That's a huge win. Knowing, you know, having tried to start writing books, Sean and I know that (laughs) we're so impressed by all the authors out there who actually get these huge books out and published and, you know, the knowledge compiled. It's a huge win and getting the code along with it is amazing. So kudos. (laughs) Thanks. All right, Kelly, over to you. Oh my gosh, I've had so many wins just today and yesterday. And it sounds really bad, but normally I go without any wins for a while. So fourth quarter, sixth graders, it's insane. I don't know what it is or if it's like the end of the year. Normally the end of the year is the worst part, but we're doing this app where I I like to call it the ice cream social, but it has nothing to do with ice cream, nor is it a party invite anymore. And the sixth graders are always, I'm challenging them. We talked about this last time with the rubrics, how I said, you know, you get your two extra points if you impress me. And sure enough, you know, I had a couple of kids who impressed me too much, which kind of led into my fail of the week, but I'll just come back to that. I had a kid that I had to, I was shouting, thank goodness Sean's in my classroom in the first period. So I'm like, Sean, I can't figure this out. Help me out. I had a kid want to do a keyboard interrupt just comes to me and says, hey, I'm making this game where I have 20 numbers and I want to stop on the number 10 and I want to hit a key to stop, but I want it to keep going. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, we'll get here, we'll get here. And he's like, no, that's not what I want it to do. And I'm like, okay, but you only know a few concepts. (laughs) And here's this kid with a try accept and a keyboard interrupt. And then I had another girl who was like, I want a drop down list in, you know, in my app so that they have to select with a cursor. And I was like, you know, there's a library for that. And I sent, and I said, her go search it up. And of course she found the bullet library and in the middle of trying to, you know, fix syntax errors and everything, she's trying to get this going on. That was kind of like a fail of the week, but we'll go into that later. But yeah, so many wins. It was like, what is going on? I kept calling Sean going, help. I can't manage these 18 kids with their syntax errors it, and all this stuff. It was it was really cool. They were very excited about it. And they just kept saying, how do I do this? And can I do this also? And they just, they had that eagerness to learn that sometimes is painful to get going. 
other times it just seems to be effortless. Like sometimes they just get into it and it's amazing. You just get to enjoy the ride. Yeah, it was crazy. So it was a good fit, fun win. Mike, do you get to see that a lot with the work that you're doing and, and you know, your books and the feedback that you're getting? Do people tend to really get into things like image processing and stuff once they start to see the visual results of it? I get some feedback, not as much as I used to. When I first started writing, I get lots of feedback, both on my blog and on my first like two books. But I don't know if being more popular has made less feedback happen or what, but the feedback loop isn't as immediate, except during like a Kickstarter campaign and people will be like, oh, I really like chapters one, two, and three. And then you finish the book and you hear nothing after that. So you're like, do the last chapters good or do they suck? You know, what's going on here? <laughs> I, I think like this post, post-intermediate COVID thing, everyone was getting into comments and doing stuff and getting really into learning. And then now everyone's just like, I'm overloaded. Yeah. So maybe that's what it is. It could be. I mean, maybe people are just maybe taking a break from from communicating online for a bit. I know I am. I'm trying to to back <laughs> away as much as I can. So for me this week, my win of the week was similar. It happened in the classroom, and it was actually just a few minutes ago. We were working through date times and formatting, and I really love using the date time library for this because it lets you do stuff that's maybe hard to figure out on your own or that if you don't know the the heuristic for it, it's really difficult. But just a simple thing like showing students how they can ask the user for a date, have it parsed using STRP time, and then tell the person like what day of the week that is, right? So it's like three lines of code. It's pretty simple, but they got they were getting the hang of it. And what was really fun about it was I just turned them loose on the strftime.org website where it just has that reference of all the different codes you can get. And so I just told them, go nuts, go explore, see what weird date formatting stuff you can come up with. And I had kids looking at the the day of the year, the week of the year, they were doing, you know, time zones, they, you know, because then they started to ask, well, how can I get the time zone? What happens if it's Eastern time? Can I get something with AM, PM instead of 24 hour time? So they just started to get curious about all the things that they could do with mm -hmm. that formatting library. And it was also really fun because most of them are running, you know, Python 3.6 or later to be able to use those format strings right in an F string. So it was even more elegant than using STRF time. Nice. Nice. That's crazy. It was pretty fun. Yeah. And they get into it. All right. So Kelly, any fails this week? We won't make Mike go first. <laughs> Unless you want to go first, Mike, any fails? <laughs> I'll let you go. <laughs> okay. So in line with my eagerness of my sixth graders, there's always this failure moment. So it's never it's never peaches and cream and, and you know, ice cream cone kind of feelings. It's quite crazy and hectic and my brain hurts. And I was sending these kids to do this stuff, but we found out, you know, bullets not really working in Moo. I try to get it working in collab, doesn't work very well in collab. So this poor girl who had these great ideas, of course, has hardly anything started. And and it's a little bit of a failure for her because she's like, but but it's due tonight. And I was like, that's eh, okay. You, you get an A for trying. <laughs> but it's like these moments where we're trying to push them and you still have these time constraints, which always kills me. And, and they want to get their work done. I always let them submit their work in late if it's something that they've explored more. But it's just that little letdown where they saw this happening online with the drop down and the clicker and the star and the highlight. And we just couldn't get working into the environment which she's used to. And sending a sixth grader who's been coding for three and a half weeks to 
Visual Studio or PyCharm or a virtual environment. It's just not really where I want to go. I did get it going in Replit for her, so I did send it to her. It's not what she wanted, but we'll yeah. see. We'll see how it goes. So I it is a little bit of a fail. Yeah, there's nothing that deflates student progress and enthusiasm quite so quickly as well. It doesn't work that way on Windows, right? <laughs> or yeah, Macs work a little bit differently, and you have to explain some of these you know nuances, and it's just demotivating, right? Because they get excited about it and then they're just let down, especially if there's like 17 other steps that they have to do. So it's like, yeah, you could get this to work on Windows, but you have to install, say, Windows subsystem for Linux to get it to work. And that's not much fun. Yeah. Yeah. But oh, well, she'll, she'll bounce back. (laughs) Yep. Resiliency is is something we're teaching. We start turtle next week, so they'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, the fail this week, and this is one that Kelly helped me through a lot. I have a student who is very very excited about coding and he is trying so hard. And, you know, I talked with him at the early part of the class because in many ways he's advanced past the rest of the class, but sometimes his exuberance for the material has like led him past some of the fundamentals of Python coding. So he might find a way to do something that he can get to work because he's very smart and he's very clever, but he might be doing something that's a lot harder than if he actually knew more about strings or more about lists or something like that. So he might create a dictionary for something that a list would be maybe more appropriate for. So I'm working with him on, let's go through the fundamentals and everything, but he keeps coming to me with these side projects that he's working on. Like I'm making him an auto clicker, Mr. Tiber. And I want it, I, I got it working with Py installer so I can create an .exe or .app file, but I can't figure out how to transfer it to someone else where it doesn't get called out as being a virus or an untrusted application, right? And my fail though with this is that I was getting pretty impatient with him because he was constantly asking questions, just constantly popping up and saying, you know, what about this? What about this? What about this? In the middle of class. In the middle of class or as I'm trying to help other students with their assignments. And it was kind of getting in the way. And more importantly, it was also that he was not trying to figure it out himself because I was there and I was the resource. So I kind of stopped him. I shut him down and said, like, look, you need to figure this out. I have you know several other students who are waiting for help. I've helped you several times already. I need you to try to figure this out so that I can go help them. And you know, Kelly talked to me afterwards and said, you have to be aware that he is so excited for this opportunity because he's been looking forward to having you as his teacher the whole year and make sure that you're, you know, that you're helping him, that you're supporting him. And so what I'm, what I'm working on is I'm going to have kind of an adult conversation with him and set expectations to say, I want to help you. I'm going to get, you know, we're going to do some cool things together. I'm going to find some stuff that you're doing exciting. You're going to find stuff that I'm doing exciting. We're going to build a good relationship together but we also need to be respectful of the other students in the room and their needs as well and have that kind of that grown up conversation about how to how to handle this and i needed i needed kelly's help to highlight that for me to tell me hey you need to take a step back from this and think about how you're interacting with that student and make sure that you're not stifling his enthusiasm but rather encouraging it and channeling it he's a mini mr tiber <laughs> <laughs> But <laughs> well, you know, it's funny is they always like they always make you think or dread the problem students, right? Like, oh, you're going to be a teacher. <laughs> oh, kids are terrible. But they don't tell you how to handle a student who's 
on the other end of it, right? Who's super excited and super exuberant to a point where that may become a fault as well. And so it's interesting to try to navigate that in a really kind and respectful way to the student. It's hard. Actually, we never get used to that kid that's really eager. It's hard because you don't want to deflate their eagerness at the same time, but you're just like, oh my God, can you just please stop? Just stop. Stop. It reminds me of Spike and uh, the bulldog and the chihuahua. Spike, Spike, huh, huh? (laughs) Do you know, no, did I age myself? No, no, I'm with you. (laughs) Sorry. All right. (laughs) Mike, did you have any fails? You don't have to share if you don't want to. We find that we learn a lot from our failures. My failure wasn't this week, but it was, I don't know, like a week after I had published my pillow book. And one of the readers comes and says, hey, this example doesn't work in 3.6, in Python 3.6. And I'm like, interesting. And so I loaded it up, and because I test on 3.9, which is the latest version. And, you know, you have the latest pillow version and the latest 3.6 version, and it doesn't work. And I have no idea why. I think I, I think the guy who had contacted me said that if you update it to whatever the latest version of 3.6 is, it's like 3.6.9, I think it kind of works. Whereas 3.6.0, it doesn't work at all. And I have no idea what the difference is there. I don't know why Python... Python doesn't normally change in a minor revision in a way that would break something. And there's no error. It just doesn't work. So it's, you know, I'm supposed to be loading an image on the screen and nothing appears. It just, no errors, no no nothing. It's really weird. That is weird. And it's like, it's one of those things. It's like hard to plan for something when something's constantly changing. It's almost... It almost goes into the fact of maybe a curriculum or, you know, machine learning or stuff. You start planning for something and then next thing you know, we're in the next version. <laughs> don't upgrade your map. Yeah, and <laughs> I don't think something. I don't think three six is technically supported now. So well I personally like three six if it's not really supported by the Python team. Do I still support the users that are stuck on it? I don't know. It's one of those things that's hard to hard to answer. Well, there is the lazy way to fix it is just to change the requirements from 3.6 minimum version to 3.7 minimum version and just move on, right? Yes. I mean, none of us want to do that, but maybe if you're right, if it's out of out of support, then maybe that's the right answer. That works for most, but there are like some businesses that require you to be stuck on a certain version for X number of years. So for them, they just kind of have to work around it somehow. Yeah, I, I don't want to say how long I was on Windows XP at some of the corporate jobs that I've had because it was it was long after that <laughs> should have ever been on there. Yeah, we kept telling the kids not to upgrade to Big Sur because well, Moo hadn't been fixed for mm-hmm. the new the new operating service operating, <laughs> operating so, system. Yeah. And yeah, so they were like, oh, we already did. And I was like, well, you can't do this then. Can't work with Microbit. Got to use this. But thankfully, the guy, the team at Moo has updated that. But anyways. We digress. Let's get into this topic because yeah. I'm so excited about this. I'll let Sean explain it in a second because I kind of ramble. But I found Pillow and I said, oh, my gosh, there's so many ways that we could use this. Well, I think even before that, like you found Mike's book, yeah. right? To be more specific. So, Mike, <laughs> your your book has set off a whole firestorm of creativity and excitement with Kelly. So I sit directly across from her, like we have a sheet of plexiglass separating us and <laughs> she just keeps like pressing pressing stuff up to the glass, like turning her computer on, like, look what I did. <laughs> My cat is embossed <laughs> and right. I don't have a cat. <laughs> 
So, so Mike, your book really kicked off a lot of interest for us. And I think possibly one of the best reasons for that is because Pillow is so visual, right? And it's Mm -hmm. something that you can see your output, the manipulations, the transformations that you make are very visible and easy to see. So can you tell us a little bit about your book and what it has so that our our listeners have a little bit of context for it. And then what we'd like to do is jump into some different project ideas that you could use in the classroom using Pillow to leverage that kind of visual nature of it to get students excited. And also explain a little bit about what Pillow is, because we did highlight it very shortly last week, but Mm, you're, you know, you're more the expert than you you literally wrote the book on it. So, (laughs) (laughs) okay. So Pillow is known as the friendly fork of the Python imaging library. And the Python Imaging Library came out oh, more than a decade ago, probably 15, 20 years ago for Python 2. And for whatever reason, it was never ported to Python 3. And so that's where Pillow came in and they ported it and have since continued development on it because the original developers for the Python Imaging Library have basically abandoned the project. Or maybe they moved to Pillow. I don't, I don't actually know exactly the, the history there. But basically what Pillow lets you do is it will let you edit photos, you can resize photos, flip, mirror, whatever. But it also lets you do like changing the contrast, you can change the color channels, you can apply a bunch, I think there's 10 to 15 different filters that are come with it in two different places. So you can apply lots of different filters to it that you know you normally do in Photoshop, really. It's nowhere near as powerful as Photoshop, obviously, but it has all the basic filters you'd expect to use, but is really makes it just makes it really cool. And then you can add shapes and drawings on top of your images and, you know, create like a meme creator or just, you know, start combining photos together and create a collage. So, you know, it's, it's a really powerful library. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. And I think what's really great about it is that you can, because it's a library and because you can run it using Python code, you can use it just about anywhere. Right. So mm-hmm. yeah, Photoshop might be more powerful, but you can, you know, do batch processing of images. You can create images or watermark them or thumbnail them using a web service. You, it's very portable. You can move it to wherever you need it to be. And it is also very efficient compared to something like a Photoshop where you might have to load up a lot of code or a, a mm-hmm. large program just to be able to do a simple transformation. Yeah. So I had this crazy idea and I emailed Mike right away when we were talking and I was like, oh my God, I just had this, while I was blow drying my hair, I decided what a cool thing to do is like talk about our brainstorming because Sean and I often brainstorm. We try to find authentic assessments, things that students could use and do in the real, real world or the smaller projects that could lead to bigger, bigger projects in the future. And I got this crazy idea, you know, of course, I'm sticking with the easy projects, so you guys can't steal mine. And (laughs) Sean's going to have like the medium. And since you're, you know, an expert, you're going to bring out some of the harder developer high school, college ideas of what students could do. And I said this last week, I was so impressed by the things that I can do with Pillow. And I could show kids in, in five, six, seven lines. Here's an image. Here I turned it. Here's an image. Here I embossed it. You know, here's an image and it's now on my screen and I pulled it up from my file and I didn't have to go click on it. And Mm -hmm. it was something that was very readable. I could show this is the object cat 
and this object cat is going to have a method on it and it's going to be embossed and I could just reinforce the fact of here's my object, here's my method, just like we had our string and our method and our, you know, our list and our method and it was trying to reinforce that. So it was a nice visual. So anyways, you want to sum up what I just <laughs> make it clear? Because I ramble and get ex- when I get excited. <laughs> well, I, I think the exciting thing here, Mike, and, and this is where we're we're looking for your thoughts and everything, is that Pillow is really easily available. It's very visual. It lends itself to a lot of projects that students can tackle mm-hmm. at a variety of levels. And that's one of the things that we like about your book as well, is that there are a lot of simple things that we start with. And then you can very easily see how these get transformed and combined into much more larger and more robust project ideas. So Anything else we should consider before we start? Anything that you would give in terms of guidance for what makes a good pillow application versus something that might be a bad use of pillow? And just one thing to note about pillow is that if you're going to do like pixel by pixel manipulation of an image, it's kind of slow. So if you need to do something where you have to like adjust every single pixel in like a high res 18 megapixel photograph, you'd probably want to use NumPy or Pandas or something else to get the speed that you want. Otherwise, it's just it's going to be too slow to really use. So that's a good point. So is, is that because of the underlying C implementation for NumPy and Pandas that tends to make it a bit faster for that kind of manipulation? I believe so. I, I think Pillow, and I haven't dug into the code, but I believe it's mostly Python code. And so it's just by nature a little bit too slow for that, you know, for a million pixel manipulations at a time. But cool. definitely good enough for taking kitten photos from the internet Absolutely. and having fun with them, right? For what I do with it, it, it pops up on my screen really fast. Nice. So let's get started. Okay, I'm go excited. ahead, Kelly. You're up. So my first project, and I got really excited. We went to, where did we go in Carnegie? Where's The Robotics Pittsburgh? Institute? Yeah, but in Pittsburgh? or In Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh. Yeah. Sorry. We went to Pittsburgh, and while I had an extra time, I went to the Andy Warhol Museum. And so... I always think about Andy Warhol because we used to do them with Photoshop. We used to do reenact these pictures where we would do like the Andy Warhol thing. And I told, I was thinking this would be really cool. I don't know how to get it all together, but I know how to get the different kind of filters on an image. But it would be a really cool project of maybe getting like the kids to pick up a picture and go through six filters and making sort of like an Andy Warhol image. You know how he did Marilyn Monroe or the the soup can bottle and he had like these different colors. So mm-hmm. I thought that would be a really cool, easy, maybe easy. I don't know. I haven't done it. This is again, just me brainstorming, but it would be a cool project that they can do. Definitely they can go and filter them. I haven't figured out how they can filter them and put it into, but you said they can combine images into one. So. Correct. There's a project for you to write, Mike. (laughs) Number one project. (laughs) So, Mike, I can think of a couple things here that would be useful. Like you could, you know, play with the color palette size, right, to to de-res it. You could apply different filters and transforms. But where's a good place to start with this for the students in terms of teaching them different parts of the Pillow library? So Pillow has a color channel submodule called, let's see, Image Ops. That would probably be a good spot to start to start looking for you know what's built in and what can you what can you do to the image using that particular submodule in Pillow. I think I actually looked up how to do this because I was going to include an example very similar to what she had mentioned, and I didn't. I ended up doing it with NumPy instead of Pillow just because I. But there is a way to do it pretty simply with Pillow. I just didn't stitch it all together, so you can easily create it with just a couple of. I mean, create the shades 
you know, with two or three lines of code, but stitching it together, you know, would take another three or four lines. And I, I don't have all those put together yet, but you know, it's, it's not, that, it's not hard. You just got to know how to search for the right things. Cool. But then once they find those things, then they can create their own art style, right? So if Andy Warhol had like a four panel art piece, they could do 16 or 32 or something like that. That could be fun. Yeah, you just have to be aware of the size of your image and then calculate, you know, how big the, the new image needs to be. And there, there's another, you know, math problem there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds good. Well, so my idea for trying to take this a step up is, and I, I don't know how to do this, but I've seen this done with a lot of machine learning and computer vision applications. But I, what I would love to do is show your more advanced students how to use the webcam to capture a picture and then process that using Pillow. So it could be as simple as like a window that pops up, you press a key on your keyboard, have it snap a photo, or use some simple GUI to do that, and then process that photo and, and spit it out. So it could be Maybe we take that Andy Warhol idea, but instead of feeding it a photo from your hard drive or from the internet, feed it a photo from your webcam so that you could make Andy Warhol's, you know, kind of on demand from that. Oh, can you do individual parts of a of an image? Can you like set up like, like certain squares? Cut it into like cut in? pieces? Yeah, you can crop. You can tell it to crop wherever you want. Could you do like a zoom? You know how you have the Brady Bunch kind of look of the zoom yeah. just crops <laughs> the pictures of the zoom. Okay, Mike, just you know, start playing. Here's all your idea, our ideas. <laughs> so, I'm gonna give you some extra projects to you know build out. <laughs> so, what about a harder project? Tell us one of the projects that maybe they would use this at a college or a high school or. So one thing that I thought of when I was actually writing the book is, I'm like, it'd be so nice if I could have a, a user interface that would show interactively what you, what you can do with Pillow. And so, you know, one thing you could do is you could set it up so that it has a combo box and you can choose all the filters that are available in Pillow and just have it apply to whatever image you have currently loaded in your graphical user interface. And, you know, learning how to do a graphical user interface is usually considered a intermediate level topic or to an advanced topic, depending on how crazy your, your Gooby is. So to me, that's that's something I would totally uh, recommend as a, a good learning endeavor. Yeah, definitely not a sixth grade stuff, but yeah, I, maybe a, a Kelly project. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also thinking too, like one of the things that's great is the way that you can chain different transformations together, right? Mm-hmm. Or different methods. So maybe one of the things that would be really cool on a GUI is to have just a text box that you could apply a transformation to the current image, right? So you could append and evaluate what they type in and see what that would look like, or even give the user, here's all the different things that you've chained together to make this happen so that they could apply that to a picture that they wanted to manipulate in their code. So it could also be a nice way to explore and create transformations visually instead of having to do that loop back and forth between the code and the picture. So it could have some utility as well. Could we write it to like a, a file, like a slideshow file? Yeah, yeah. Then have it written out, I don't know, write back, save back as image. But when you save back, does it just go back into the folder or can you save it and then write it? I guess you could save it and write it, right? Yeah, yeah you can save it wherever you want. The GUIs that I create in the book, I specifically disallow you from overwriting the original image because it's so easy to accidentally destroy what you're doing. I saved it as a new object. And that was, a, it's just a nice, it was a nice way of showing the kids, here's this object, I applied this method, I'm gonna n- 
name it another object so we're not messing up. So that's cool. So my other easy project that I was just brainstorming with is, and Sean was laughing at me, and because I'm a visual person, I got my ruler. And what a cool little math project where you can use scaling and resizing of images. And then you can actually literally tell the kids, here's a ruler. You don't believe me. Let's scale it five times. And then you can measure with the ruler on your screen. So if the image is one inch, and of course they wouldn't want to use inches, but one inch, how many inches bigger when you multiply it times five? So hopefully, I mean, this is like a lower lower level, but with code, it's kind of nice because they can actually see this ratio and they can see the scaling. And then I was reading further on about how you can do the, what if it's like four by six, how you scale up and how do you make an image scale? Because that was always hard for me when I was doing HTML and trying to teach the kids of how you're going to put this code in. So it's one of those things where the math and the visual kind of go hand in hand and that that would be a really cool thing for math students. Ratios are hard, so. Well, it's a great way to practice it anyways and be able to start associating the numeric ratios with the visual cues that you're seeing on screen as well. And a future skill for like HTML or whatever, they're mm -hmm. gonna do website design, so they need to know. Mm -hmm. yeah. So for me, my second one kind of builds on this idea of the, the webcam capture, but I think you could do it independently as well. I'd love to see something where a project where students are challenged to share something to social media. So to combine this image library manipulation with some social library as well or social module. So, you know, there are there are libraries that will let you tweet out pictures. You can use PyInsta to do Instagram stuff. I know that there's a bit of a hurdle to get all of that connected and authenticated and everything, but I do really like this idea of creating a small workflow or small process where I have an input image, I apply some processing to it, and then I post it somewhere, I share it somewhere where other people can see it. And then students could take that logical next step of saying, well, if I can do this once, couldn't I automate this? Couldn't I have this work for once a day, I'm going to post a picture to the internet. Or when I see a picture that's posted on Instagram, I'm going to fetch it, I'm going to manipulate it, and I'm going to reshare it. So maybe their project is something like a Twitter bot that takes any picture that's posted and inverts it and posts it back again. Upside down cats. Upside down cats. Or... Cold steel. Where are you at? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> right. Or maybe it's a discord bot that takes any picture that someone posts and, you know, resizes it or applies a filter or saves it somewhere else after compressing it. So just this idea of, you know, connecting this to something that's happening in their digital life, I think could be a really cool way of making it interesting and fun for them to be able to share with other people. The trick with this one is having it stay in that intermediate realm and not too quickly go into the advanced topics. Yeah. That'd be really cool. Like on, you know, when you sometimes get in the chats and discord or whatnot, and they have those, they send in those memes or those, those other images on the message and it's huge and it takes up the space. What if it was like a bot that caught all the ones that are over X size and just shrunk them? That could be cool. I think I don't know if we can do it the pill. This is what happens when we brainstorm. We start thinking of really, really wild, crazy ideas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys are making me brainstorm a little bit too. <laughs> <laughs> That's the fun part about brainstorming. We do. I have to like practically live with him from seven thirty until four thirty every day. So this is what happens. So your last hard project for us. So this is something that I know is something that I would probably do because I like to take photos. It's one of my my hobbies. 
is that I would want to watermark them if I was going to share them online. And since I take, you know, hundreds of photos, if, like on vacation, or even thousands of photos, that's a lot of photos to hand watermark. So you could theoretically create a application GUI, or you could use Python's arg parse and just tell it, I want to add this watermark to these this folder of images and tell it where to output those images. And I think that's a really good starting point for someone to, to learn a bunch about, you know, how do you how do you make Python take in arguments? And then once you've got that figured out, it's pretty easy to add a GUI on top of it and say, and just translate, you know, those command line arguments into buttons or widgets. And now you have a GUI that can does the same thing. And since you guys were talking about like TreeP and Instapy, you know, you could add that to, to the whole workflow and say, I want to take in this folder. This is my social media folder. I'm going to watermark them. And you could even say in your app, however you want to do, I want to post it to Twitter. I want to post it to Instagram. I want to post to both. And then you could save that to a database so you don't post again. And you know you can just you can just keep adding on to this and add all kinds of neat little features that'll help the the student learn. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking like you could also go a little bit beyond the Python and show them how to make a cron job or something that would check mm -hmm. it every every five minutes and anytime there's a new file in there, it will automatically post it out. I think that could be really fun too. Don't you know? Don't give him any more ideas, please. I'm gonna lose. We have to get through Innovation Institute this weekend. He's gonna start trying to do more stuff. I, I do have a pictures folder on our home server that has something like fifteen thousand photos on it that could use some better organization. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking about using Pillow to go through those and pull out the metadata on it and do some processing and reorganization. So maybe renaming some of those files by the date that they were taken and the location or any of any of that stuff. But some of these, I have pictures from the very first digital camera I ever owned. So it's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be a bit of a challenge to categorize some of them. Maybe just make them all thumbnails and save them somewhere. And maybe I'll just <laughs> post them post them one after another to Twitter. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> this is a mountain in Alaska. Oh, here's another. Here's some snow. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I do really like that idea because I, I think, Mike, you're getting into that same sort of concept of going beyond just the image library. The image pillow is the vehicle for getting them interested about learning other areas and adjacencies to the project that they're trying to do. So yes, I want to have it process a file of pictures on my computer or a folder of pictures on my computer. But in order to do that, I need to maybe learn more about OS or the PathLib object or some, you know, PathLib system, the arg parse, all of these things that would help them interact with files on their computer. And one of the things that we found interesting is that most of our students being, you know, post-millennials, actually don't have any idea what a file is on their computer. Yeah. They, I, <laughs> they, I was like, send me your, your Moo code file. What? Send in an email. What? Huh. So yeah, that's why, yeah, you people don't think about this, but they don't really have these skills. They're, they are avid users of technology, but they're not really, cons they're more consumers and not creators a lot. And, so. and their, their usage patterns tend to be more cloud-based yeah. and mobile-based than they are yeah. file-based on their, on a computer. So yeah, that's true. So it is kind of, it's, I can't highlight for me enough finding a library that this is kind of what happened when I got into matplotlib, finding a library that you can read the documentation's easy. The string and methods are visual. And I think that's, those are the sides of, of coding and Python that I like the things that 
are instantaneous. I can type six to 10 lines and I can see something happen. And it's just that easy. So I would recommend trying it with your newbies and obviously not letting having them code everything by themselves, but just highlighting here's our objects and methods and things to do with it. So nice. Well, I think that gets us through our projects. What I wanted to do, Michael, was talk a little bit about your book for our listeners as well. So we can talk about what sorts of areas of the pillow library are covered there, what the focus of your book is. So if you could give us the, I guess, the back cover sort of summary of what what your book is all about. Sure. So I tried to cover everything that I could cover in pillow that made sense. So I covered all of the major submodules. You know, I covered all the different things you can do with it. I didn't dig into every single sub, you know, like class, like in image chops, which is like channel operations. There's a couple of really oddball ones in there that are for people who who make their living doing visual effects. And the example output is actually supposed to be using a pipeline. So the images that you get out don't really look like anything. They're like just like random colors that were taken out of an image. And you're like, why would I ever use this? Well, you wouldn't. The computer would use it. So some of that stuff isn't covered, but everything else that you can imagine is pretty much covered in in the book. If you look up Pillow, there's, there's probably a section in my book that covers it, like, you know, how to convert from JPEG to PNG, you know, how to scale, how to crop, how to change the contrast. And like you were mentioning, we also cover the XF data, so you can extract all the information that the camera recorded in your image that you don't even know is there. You can pull that out. And I also showed how to grab the GPS data too, because that was not obvious at all how to do that's, that. That's cool because that is right here. Sorry, this is my teacher person. Sorry to interrupt. Digital citizenship. <laughs> because I think kids don't realize that their photos, we learned that in, when we were doing HTML, but we don't really teach that in the middle school. But kids don't realize that there's GPS and, and data behind their images. And so just showing that to the kids of, hey, look, I'm going to take your image and look what I can find from it. That's huge, no? Yeah, Sorry. fortunately, most most of the mobile phones that I've used, they don't have that enabled by default, but you can turn it on in your camera if you want to. Mm. Yeah, well, a lot of them will capture it, but they won't necessarily, they'll strip it out before it. they share it, right? Or before yeah. you send it off the phone. So maybe that's another good advanced project or a bonus project would be processing a set of images, extracting all the geo data from it, and then plotting those on a map using like oh, Matplotlib or something. Real quick, does it? Can you convert all the HEICs images into JPEGs or something? I know you can turn it on your phone, but just like you know how you import. That's the thing for you. Write that down. <laughs> You're gonna have to listen to this podcast again and do all these projects. Okay, keep going. Sorry, book. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, I mentioned this already, but you can also uh, Pillow has the ability to add watermarks and writing like text and shapes on there. I have noticed that by default, when you save as a JPEG, it saves it at 75%. So compression, which means that the JPEG looks really pixelated. So you do have to watch that when you're saving the image. But other than that, you know, there's just there's just so many things I could talk about that you can do with Pillow and that I tried to cover at least good enough to get people started and interested in trying out different things with Pillow in my book. Yeah, and it's in color. It's very important to know that that's in color. Yes. Your book. The paperback is in color. It made it a little pricey, I admit, but it did, it's in color and it looks really awesome. Yeah, yeah. it would be a little weird to have a black and white pillow book, right? <laughs> 
Like, look yes. at this channel. <laughs> <laughs> so people can find it on Amazon. It's also on the ebook version is on a couple other places as well. Where's the best place for people to buy it that supports you, Mike? Lean Pub and Gumroad both give me more than Amazon would. But if you want the paperback, Amazon's the place to go. Okay. Sounds good. So we will make sure we have links to those in our show notes. Mike, you don't have to agree to this. I can cut it out later, but would you like to give away an ebook copy on the air or anything like that to one of our listeners? Is there something like that we could do? Sure. We can give away a couple if you want. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll give away, let's say three ebooks to our listeners, right? <laughs> okay. Mike's like, I'm just, mm. I'm just asking. Asking, you <laughs> no, can say I, no. <laughs> I really don't care. I like giving away my books. It's fun. Yeah. Yep. He, he gave us like a whole bunch of stickers and they got lost in the mail during COVID and then he gave us a whole bunch more and they're so cute. Yeah. <laughs> Support Mike. Maybe he'll send you a sticker. <laughs> <laughs> so what we will do is we'll set up a contest entry so people can send in you know, or sign up to enter and then we'll do a random drawing and then Mike will hook you up with an ebook version of his new book. So Mike, where can people learn more about what you're working on, your books, things that you do? Can they follow you on Twitter? Where's the best place to catch up with all things Mike Driscoll? <laughs> I am on Twitter at Driscoll, I-S, Driscoll S is how I pronounce it. Or you can go to my blog, mouseversuspython.com, and it'll, you know, you can follow all my writing projects there. Very nice. We have a couple of listener emails that I just wanted to quickly touch base on. So we had Tom, who's a community college teacher who started out teaching Python in a logic and design course with Python. And I am going to email him back. So Tom, if you're listening, I will give you a better answer to this. But you mentioned the fact of doing some sort of auto grader. Canvas doesn't work. And what do we use? A lot of the times, and it's really sad, we do do links through Colab. We don't, if it's a quick thing, I'll just tell them to take a snapshot. And I like to do the snapshot of the code and the REPL. I know Sean does that as well. If it's a really heavy or it's a big file, we'll do a snapshot and a link. But we use Schoology and that's how we get along with sharing stuff. And I do, and it's brutal and it takes a long time, but we do share code via Zoom which is really fun. And when COVID's gone, I'm still going to fight for having my Zoom because I love having the kids flip their code up, run the screen, and everyone can see it. So we'll answer more in the email on some of your other questions. And then we had another email from Brian. And Brian had talked about how he wants to see some curriculum. And a lot of people ask us about the curriculum. We can't really give our curriculum out because of our school. And we want to not step on the toes of giving out our curriculum, but we're always eager to answer specific questions about certain topics that you have. And we love brainstorming if you couldn't tell. So if you ever have a specific question about a way of teaching something, or you want to know what's maybe a good idea or a good approach, that's easier for us to answer versus us posting our curriculum online. I say this every time we go through the basic concepts and we spiral through them. So every kids have the basic concepts up to dictionaries every yeah. year, right? Yeah. Functions, so. dictionaries, lists, so some basic data structures. And then we have tried teaching classes and object-oriented programming, but more just an introduction or an overview of it, nothing too detailed or in-depth. Yeah. And then, like we said, we use things like Pillow Library to cycle back and say, and to reinforce strings and objects and how you can use them. We don't really just go and say, here's foobar, whatever. We are doing constantly projects and we teach through the projects and which lets us cover a lot more in Python. Yeah, and you and I've had some conversations about this over the last week too, whereas 
we're not necessarily trying to cram a lot of content. It's not necessarily like, oh, we need to get to this level of computer science education in nine weeks. So we've experimented with things like object-oriented programming, but it's not necessarily something that we're trying to achieve in the nine weeks. The things that we're really trying to get to are the computational thinking, the problem-solving approaches, and the excitement and enthusiasm for the subject. So if they've got some basic skills that can help them learn more and they've got some enthusiasm for it, it'll take them a lot further than we can get in just nine weeks. Yeah, and we are evidence in the classroom alone because I always make fun of Sean and his hardware and I think he always makes jest of me with my Matplotlib and my other things that I like to get hooked on. So we we both show that we have different likes in Python. I like to sit in front of my computer and type the stuff that comes out and he likes to build, I mean, he does all the typing stuff too, but he likes to build stuff and make things and whatever. So I think that's that's where our focus is on our curriculum. That's just a little bit. I'll touch base with everyone again more formally. So if you have a question, you can email us. Yep. So the best way to get in touch with us if you have a question of your own is at our website, teachingpython.fm. This week we have yet more new products on the teaching. I made pillows. <laughs> <laughs> the Teaching Python store has some new items, including pillows and water bottles and all sorts of fun stuff. When COVID's over, I'm bringing the pillows back in time. And one thing that you definitely have to check out, and I'm going to go broke buying these for my daughter, but Kelly has been working on a whole line of STEM girls, apparel and ideas and just things that make it like, I guess, just remind everyone why it's fun to code and why it can be something that everyone can do. And that's something that's important to all of us to make sure that everyone knows that this is a welcome place for them to be themselves and to be creative. So Kelly's been making some t-shirts and some pillows and all sorts of fun stuff that you can get to show your love for STEM. Guy, girl, otherwise, it doesn't matter. It's pink. It's pink. If it you love pink, you can wear it. <laughs> and I'm going to buy some for my daughter. She loves robots. She loves technology. And I love sharing that with her. And unicorns. Yeah, and unicorns. <laughs> So other places you can reach us, we're always on Twitter at Teaching Python. You can also support us on Patreon. We'll put the link in the show notes. We're also on the other social media sites. So we are starting up an Instagram account, Facebook page, and Pinterest account just to be able to basically claim those. But if you'd like to follow us on those platforms, we're going to start posting more things out there, more content, more visual content. Who knows? We might even make a pillow bot for Instagram. We'll see. <laughs> Mike's going to make us a pillow bot. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. No pressure. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> I'll send you a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So once again, a big thanks to our guest, Mike Driscoll, the author of Pillow Image Processing with Python, which you can find on Amazon, on Gumroad, and on many other places as well. We're going to put links to the best places to buy those as well. If you want the paperback, the best way to get that is through Amazon. The ebook you can get from a couple other sources. So for Teaching Python, this is Sean. And this is Kelly, signing off. Thank you.